previously on Popping Collars. And so that would be hard, unlike like Bob Dylan, which I don't actually expect a lot out of. <laughs> I don't, I love his music, but he's kind of a jerk already, I think. Um, <laughs> but. Um, and we just lost Bob Dylan as a listener. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Bob Dylan, huge popping collars fan. <laughs> he's all over the tweets. Can't get enough. Hey, what you saying about me? Right. Thanks for that. Sorry. Welcome to Popping Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture. My name is Greg Knight. I am the director of children and youth ministries at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea in Palm Beach, Florida. I got two co-hosts here with me today. Betsy Gonzalez. What's up, Betsy? Spring break, Greg, here in beautiful <laughs> Alexandria, Virginia. Yeah, isn't even March yet. That's how we rock it in boarding schools. But I'm here at the Episcopal High School in Alexandria, where I serve as the head chaplain. And I'm so close. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Spring break. Spring Do you get to go to Cancun or something? Break in. All right. And uh, also with me is uh, Liz Easton. Hi, Liz. Uh, Where are you? What are you up to? Hey, Greg. Um, I'm coming to you from Omaha, Nebraska, where I serve as the canon to the ordinary for the Diocese of Nebraska. And spring break capital of the U.S., right? Nebraska. Yeah, exactly. Everyone flocks here. They flock here for spring break. Those those Nebraska beaches are the best beaches. Lake McConaughey, baby. (laughs) Matthew McConaughey's there? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I said Lake McConaughey. We're Matthew McConaughey. My bongo drums, anyway. Exactly. The namesake. All right. (laughs) Finally, uh, we have a special guest with us. My former boss, who always gave me glowing reviews. I'm sure. Uh, Kevin Matthews. Welcome, Kevin. I am in Greensboro, North Carolina, where I am the chaplain and and young adult minister at uh, St. Mary's House, um, serving. Various colleges in Greensboro and anybody under the age of 30, something or other. They're all leaving you to go to Omaha. I'm sure. Yes, they are. That's right. Everybody's right. taking yes. off. I, yeah. I just sent one there the other day. Yeah. <laughs> we'll <laughs> take good to see Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> I tried to tell them it's just his lake. It's just a lake. <laughs> Just the lake. All right. Here we go. This is episode 77 of Popping Collars. And our topic today is Black Panther. If you don't know what Black Panther is, then uh, you may be listening to the wrong podcast. This is what we call a pop culture podcast. And Black Panther is currently ruling all of the popular culture. This is the story of T'Challa, the titular superhero Black Panther, who rises to the throne in the isolated, technologically advanced African nation of Wakanda. But his claim as king is challenged by a vengeful outsider named Eric Killmonger. So I know that we'll have a lot of time in this conversation to talk about the cultural, political, and historical aspects of this movie. But what has struck me over the last couple of weeks since this film came out is how people have experienced this movie and this story personally. Uh, Whether it's the theater-going experience, the movie itself, or the conversation around the movie, it just feels like everyone has a personal Black Panther story. So, Kevin, you're our guest, so you get to kick us off. 
when you're when you are going to look back on this time down the road, what personal story are you going to remember about the release of Black Panther? I went on the first day. Um, I went in the daytime, not at night. But I went in the daytime. The a the theater was uh, was full. It's a um, I bought like one of the last tickets. B it was full primarily of white folks, oh. which is rare for a black movie. It's a um, and C uh, they applauded at the end of it. And I can't tell you the last time I've heard a movie applauded at the end of it, frankly. It's a, um, I, it was astonishing just to see that. I, I guess the other part of it for me was simply watching a film about Black people that was not primarily about uh, the ghetto, drugs, mm. it's, uh, gangsters. Slavery. Slavery, yes. Yeah. It was personally just fun for me to sit there and watch a movie where um, all the black people had every uh, had all the advantages because <laughs> it was because uh, it was uh, you know they had all the technology <laughs> they they had the smarts they had the strength at the same time the whole thing wasn't really very much about race at all it was in terms of the villain who comes in from the outside to Wakanda from Wakanda's point of view it wasn't about the typical things that you expect. Well, I saw it this weekend in beautiful Ocean City, Maryland, because everyone wants to go to the beach in late February, much like the exodus to Nebraska. (laughs) So we were there with a couple of other families. The the kids, the little girls all wanted to go get like pedicures, right? So they all went to go do that. And so it left three of us adults to be like, all right, what are we going to go do? And so we're like, well, we'll go to a matinee show at one of the two theaters in Ocean City, Maryland. It's like fog everywhere. Like yeah. no one, it, the place is dead, kind of, sort of, right? And But we show up at this matinee and we're like rolling in like, eh, like 15 minutes before. And I tried to get tickets in D.C. before and I kept striking out at every theater at the time we could go because everything was sold out. Everything was sold out. And so like, oh, this is going to be easy, right? Nobody's around. Roll in. It's like the last three seats together, (laughs) not at the very front row in front of the screen. And I'm like going, holy crap. And the theater's all full. You know, I'm a white woman, you know, many, 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 most movies are made for me, you know, or at least around my general area, right? Mm -hmm. But to really kind of look around at the audience, especially at the end when we were all waiting around for the special scenes and the extra scenes, it was us and then this large black family who was kind of there and then other people had kind of glommed on. And, uh, and I just wanted to go up to them and be like, guys, that was freaking awesome. That was so awesome. How did that movie make you feel? Did it make you feel like popular culture can be really powerful. And there are times when it can contribute to a narrative, start a narrative, push a narrative. But I was, I was so pumped up coming out of that and it was so i I so wanted wakanda to be real yeah i so wanted to be this place but i just i instantly was trying to make community with everybody around me all right everybody (laughs) come on in let's all talk to each other i'm gonna loud talk over here so maybe you'll talk to me and like let's all talk together but um yeah pumped up pumped up feeling community in the in the theater Mm -hmm. You know, I I also had tried to go earlier and it was sold out. So this was, I was lucky to get in under the wire in terms of our recording. Um, I was moved by having a really racially 
integrated movie theater experience, which is not always the case. Like either I'll go to the movies and it's mostly white people or mostly African-American people, depending on what I'm seeing. So that was kind of moving to see like this thing is reaching beyond um, how we usually at least are marketed to in terms of films. I just love the idea of Wakanda. And I love it like those dreams that you have when you open a door into a room in your house that you didn't know you have. Like I love, I love the idea of a whole country that is kept secret. Yeah. And like, what if it existed? What if that exists right now? Um, so I loved that whole premise. Um, that was just great for the imagination. I'll tell you that, and we might get into this later. One thing that I felt conflicted as um, a white person watching were the scenes um, that took place in Wakanda when they were doing sort of like tribal um, summits, like with, like when they got together to do um, the to decide, combat for yeah, the- like who would be and like who would be king. You know, it felt to me like as a white person watching the movie, I kept thinking if I thought that white people made this movie, I would be uncomfortable with this representation because, and mm-hmm. I felt like it was leaning on stereotypes of Africa. Even though I know, like, b- based on the what I've read about the film and the filmmakers, there was a lot of really beautiful homage that was being paid to different um, cultures within Africa. But there's a part of me that felt, like, weird about it. Like, that sort of um, kind of trope of the noble savage, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was redeemed for me then with the very quick transition to um, contemporary cultures. Like, you see the same people in business suits and fancy dresses for example i'm with you liz on the on the fights uh, at the waterfall because you know and the thing that i really appreciated about that scene was that my favorite character shuri gave voice to that in that moment where she was like this is ridiculous like (laughs) let me get back to inventing my stuff let me get back to my technology (laughs) right by the way it's uncomfortable this system of choosing a government is ridiculous i like that character who is just kind of like pushing trying to push and push and push uh wakanda to move and she was one of the vocal ones along with uh along with uh uh lupita nyango's i always say malice because that's who she is in the comics but nakia right um along with her who was uh who was pushing t'challa to to basically like change your mind Figure out how we can live in this world with other people. My reaction to to the the try the, the combat scenes, you know, the, the, the to the first one particularly was not the fight itself, but what happened after the fight, which was essentially okay, you won. That's the end of this. It's a. It's not constantly him coming back trying to challenge again and again and again and again. It's over. It, you know, T'Challa won. That's the way it is. That's the part I reacted to was not the violence of it, but the end of the violence. That's a great scene because you know that that's going to be a scene that's going to come up again mm-hmm. um, because it's just such a great stage setting. So when Eric Killmonger makes it to Wakanda, spoilers, by the way, people, if you're listening. Is that really Colin, his last name? In the movie, they called it his nickname. In the comics, it is his last name. Um, it's a little on the nose. That's all. I'm it's a little on the nose. That's a good thing comics don't usually do that. Yeah, I mean, right? I'm sorry. Killmonger is on the nose. I'm sorry, I, excuse me. I know a lot of Killmongers. <laughs> I reacted to the two different fights. As, as uh, I thought, the one the, the one with 
Killmonger that's a um, scene much, much worse. It, my, my immediate reaction to that was that's because he doesn't get this culture. Right. So this one is not being fought the way it would be traditionally. It's being fought by a Westerner with Westerner ideas. It's a, um, it, it treats it differently. And I can't even tell you exactly what he did other than the fact that he threw him over the side instead of letting him go. It's a, um, but it just, the whole thing felt wrong, whereas mm-hmm. the first one didn't feel wrong. So, I mean, the way that the film starts is by telling a story. I mean, it's a lovely opening to sort of introduce the backstory of Wakanda because you start with this child's voice of basically tell me the story, story, right? And tell me the story of how we got here. And what I'm hearing from you, Kevin, is like this sense of the fight between T'Challa and M'Baku is part of that story. And Eric... Eric Killmonger is not part of the story, right? And that's why it feels because he was intentionally chosen by tradition to not be a part of the story because he was a problem. I think that that definitely has something to say to us as Americans. Personally, I don't necessarily feel attached to an ancestry or to a wider story apart from growing up in the state of North Carolina in the United States, right? Like I have no sense of like English heritage or the whatever it is, you know, nor do I really care about it. And I think that that's a privilege that I have, right? White male, cis, whatever in my position. Let me just jump in on that. And that's, that's, that is definitely, uh, as you say, it is a point of privilege because it belies the fact that some of us had our ancestry stories taken from us. Yes, Absolutely. But, um, yeah. So, you know, I, I connect to this story because it, it, it's great because they do know their story, mm-hmm. it's a, you know, and, and, and I come from the people who don't. Yes, it is a privilege that I have hanging behind me here, my family tree that goes mm-hmm. back to like the 16, whatever, whatever's, you know, like that's, that's privilege. Is the movie saying that this tradition and the current you know, change of mission or whatever's kind of happening for Wakanda. Do these things exist together? Is it choosing one over the other? You've got, you've got two poles that are kind of working against each other. Wakanda is going to be safe if it stays detached from the world, but Wakanda isn't going to help anyone as long as it stays detached from the world. And that's what T'Challa has to struggle with. Okay. And by, by stepping out, it's a, a spoiler again, from that position of just staying uh, withdrawn from the world, he runs the risk of all sorts of dangers come in, coming into Wakanda. A couple of questions I want to throw out there of the um, African-American versus Black African portrayals, mm-hmm. that the American Black man is aggressive and scary and wronged and angry, whereas you have the the peaceful, you know, aside from ritual, you know, African community that's just making technology over here and creating beautiful things and wearing beautiful clothes. We, I've read that that observation and criticism. What do you all think? I think it's an indictment of America, not an indictment of, of, of Black men in America. <laughs> so. Yeah. That was my reaction to that. Because I'm also like, I also was looking at a column by Paul Guthera, who's the um, global columnist for the Post, and he's in Nairobi, right? And so he had this quote that I find really interesting, and I wonder what you all think about it. Um, 
So it's in, in his column that says, we'll give you a little sense of the, the tone here. Black Panther offers a regressive neocolonial vision of Africa. So I've been very curious about the African perspective on the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And so this, this, this is one little, one little part. However, the truth is the movie is little more than a marvel of marketing, far from offering a redemptive counter mythology as Jelani Cobb writes in the New Yorker, the movie trots out many of the same destructive myths about Africans that circulate the globe at heart is a movie about a divided tribalized continent discovered by a white man who wants nothing more than to take its mineral resources, a continent run by a wealthy power hungry feuding and feudalist elite where a nation with the most advanced tech and weapons in the world, nonetheless has no thinkers to develop a systems of transitioning rulership that do not involve lethal combat or coup d'etat. Hmm. Mm. I, know. I thought that was interesting. Well, I mean, it is an American film. That was going to be my point too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> say more. Say more, Kevin. They're still writing a, a film that um, primarily is going to make its money not in Africa. First, uh, the first question they have is, "What's the box office in the United States?" Right. And then the second one is, "What's the box office around the world?" Around the world means Europe and Asia more than it means Africa. I mean, that's just the reality of it. So, um, so what is it? Uh, so, what do they have to do to make this movie something that that those cultures can even somehow buy into in any some way, shape, or form, or connect? Connect to is a better word than buy into. And I'd also would want to hear from some more people, some more, obviously, some more voices from Africa yeah, yeah. That, that, uh, talking about it. Uh, my expectation would have been some negative stuff out of Africa because they would see all the flaws. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course they would. They're going to see everything that we don't see. That's out. What we see is what we don't normally see. And, and that looks good to us. There is so much different about this film than a typical superhero film, that's a, uh, than a typical American film. I think we need to, to say yes, and this is a step towards something, and maybe we can go even further the next time around. I do like the idea, though, that this, this is a superhero story that's predicated on community. Like, the power comes out of the fact that these people all work together. It's not the Punisher. It's not this lone vigilante. Black Panther doesn't have power unless he has his unless he has his people backing him up, which is always good to see. Well, I have kind of a superhero question. Oh, you oh, play with your hair. She's playing with her hair. <laughs> I have a superhero question, guys. Talk about it. So I was really moved at both of the times where when he had to fight to be the king. And they gave him the elixir that stripped away his Black Panther powers so that he could just be a man. And that felt significant to me, but I don't know enough. Like, I don't really know enough about other superheroes, if that was significant or not. I think it's a, it's a fairly typical trope in, with superheroes uh, to say that the, the the powers do not make the hero, the person makes the hero. Um, if you strip off the powers, that you still have the person, and that's critical. Is that anybody can wear um, Iron Man's suit, but not anybody can be Iron Man. There's only one Black Panther, even though anybody can can drink the the, the, the syrup. Yeah. yeah, the the ritual person in me, the the Episcopalian in me. 
I was very much enjoying the ceremony, you know, Forrest Whitaker was leading us through mm. that when he goes back to being the black Panther and he drinks, you know, the heart of the flower and then, and then is buried and the, the use of sand throughout the opening credits and like all of that. On what the, did it remind the, you of that ship that I was, that I'm baptized in the death of Jesus yeah. and I then I have to die and then get resurrected again. Yeah. And I just, I love that, you know, that you descend to the dead or that you go to the, as this astral plane, it's like a different plane where the ancestors are. <laughs> well, and I'm reluctant to even bring this up because a movie that, that um, really rests on, the question of colonialism, like to, to then try to use a Christian lens to, you know, interpret it feels wrong. And yet there were, there was Christian imagery all over, like with, you know, he dies and comes back. I mean, he doesn't actually die, but like, you think he's dead and then he's right. He comes back and like kind of going to this other place, this whole father son deal, a savior who's surrounded by women yeah. who are you know the last to leave him and the you know first to stand up for him and that they sit there and pray around his body as he's in that snow and mm-hmm. yeah. i mean it's like- um yeah and just thinking of the ancestral plane this idea of questioning your purpose right this idea of like being in the garden asking for the cup to be removed from you right exactly um, i'm not ready i'm not ready i'm not ready for this yeah, I just keep going back to that idea of the story and ancestry and the ancestral plane and the sense of, I love that image of all of the panthers in the tree, right? Mm-hmm. This idea that the panthers just keep going, right? And they just keep passing this down and passing this it's down. It's a tree of life image. Tree of well, life. What, <laughs> I was thinking of like Deuteronomy, the, uh, Moses' speech where he's like, tell your children, Whenever they ask you, like, why do we do this? Tell your children, we were slaves in the land of Egypt, and God brought us out and brought us to this promised land, land flowing with milk and honey. The sense of there is this common ancestry, there's this common story that we have. Hold on to that story. The power of the power of that kind of knowing who you are as God's people. Yeah, that's where I, I picked up on it too. Is, is, is that whole notion of a community that knows its identity, knows its sense of self, and knows that it's not the surrounding people. They know who they are, and so they know who they are not. And they and that helps them to live and to continue to thrive as a people by knowing who they are, what their values are, what their beliefs are. And I wondered about that in terms of Christians. Do we Can we make that claim anymore? Can we as Christians today say we know who we are over and against the people who are around us? It's Because I don't think we can, or I think some of us try, but then you look around and see what other Christians are doing, and it goes, whoa. Yeah, Greg, when you said earlier that you, you don't really have an ancestral story that you are really that interested in and that that question doesn't appeal to you, I, this, I kind of thought the same thing. Like, I know a couple of generations in my family what our story is, and that is meaningful to me, but not nearly in the way that it was in this movie. <laughs> And again, that is also a point of privilege. But when you mentioned that, I did think about the Christian story and the Christian faith. And that is more um, wanting to sort of live into that ancestry is way more compelling to me than like genealogy is, if that makes sense. Mm. And it's sort of our myth, like that first, the opening sequence, which is the story of how did Wakanda come into being is so... um, 
you know, mythological that it reminded me of sort of the myths of religious tradition that we come back to over and over again, which Christians are not as good at as um, like Jewish people are, for example. Mm-hmm. So kind of in your daily life, you know, how, you know, how they live so fully is, is Wakandan, you know, how, how do you, how do we do that? We've just done uh, Islam unit in, in my senior elective class and kind of talking about the tenets and the five pillars as being this way of living your life throughout your entire day as a Muslim. Like what mm-hmm. that looks like to you and how I can be a good Muslim and a faithful Muslim is that I am doing and getting up at five thirty in the morning and I'm doing my prayers and I am doing, you know, and the kids will be like, wow, it's so extreme. Like, it's a lot. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, well, you know, I mean, there are ways that our tradition can shape what our daily life looks like. It can shape things throughout our week beyond the fact that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. I mean, it can, <laughs> It can shape things and how you eat and what you do. And it, it should. I mean, it has right. to. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's what, that's the hope. And we as Christians sometimes have, a, we have a harder time saying and doing what those things are. All the time. I got my little house. I live in it. I got my All right. Uh, it's time for our staff pick section. And you know what? Betsy has our pick this time. And it may be a pick that we've done before, but who be. cares? Uh, it's a good one. So, Betsy, what is your staff pick? So this is my staff pick is one. It's kind of a it's kind of a comeback. Come back. Come back, friends. If you like me <laughs> were driven away by I mean, because I will with this show. I'll cry with this show very easily. I'll go. I'll go with it to most places, but this on this is us when the whole drug storyline started with Kevin and this downward spiral. Maybe it's because I, you know, issues with addictions for other, you know, kind of watching that and feeling powerless. I was like, I, I'm out. I'm out. Mic drop. See you later. All of you are wonderful, but I'm gonna go. <laughs> But then just said, you know what? I kind of have an idea that he's on a downward spiral. I don't have to watch the rest of this episode. So I just skip to the next one. And then I'm like, oh, and I'm right back in it again. Oh, hey, everybody. You've all been here the whole time. And you're the best. And I'm like, you know, I'm in here sitting in here watching an episode today. My daughter walks in. She's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm watching the show, honey. And it just makes mom cry. It's okay. She's like, okay. And walks out of the room how they write these characters. I really do like them a lot. And I, yeah. I was initially super down on the boyfriend, Toby, and he was super oh, annoying me. Great. And now I really like him. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I'm slowly being drugged into liking this movie, liking this show. Like, I feel like I've been, Oh, know. is that a Freudian slip? Does it feel like watching a movie when you're, it I mean, does. Maybe. Well, when you're able to watch six episodes in a row, Greg, because you haven't watched it in weeks. So, as someone who's 
As someone who's never seen the show, yes, I'm impressed with the with the fact that every time I see a promo for an episode each week, it's always like on a very special episode. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And maybe, <laughs> and maybe that's what I'm missing, Greg. I grew up on a hearty diet of Saved by the Bell and 90210. Melrose Place really didn't do special episodes, but um, but they were really tackling the issues. Of the time, Blossom, and Blossom did a lot. Blossom, you know, at Fresh Prince did some of that work, but I think they're really they are doing here, and the actors are just they're good, they're good actors, and you know Sterling K. Brown, right mm, in yeah. the Panther, in this all the day best. Sterling K. Brown, he's the best. It's I, I gotta say, if you have left, this is us. If you've walked away, not in the Lenten sense, maybe you gave it up for Lent, that's fine, but. I would invite you to come back and dip your toe in the water again and kind of see if you can find, see if you can find some value here, because I, I think it has a lot to say about healing in the past and how we write our own stories and that sort of thing. And I, I appreciate that. Uh, See, my my brain goes all the way back to 30 something when I hear this is Mm -hmm. us, it just feels like it's a, it's, it's the latest version of that. I would but, also and that got so maudlin by the end that nobody was watching it anymore. Well, Liz? you know, Kevin, I wasn't old enough to really appreciate thirty something. Liz yeah. had a great yeah. quote on our podcast one time where she said that thirty something was probably the sequel to Mad Men. Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's that was Bobby and um and Sally, was, Sally, yeah, Bobby Drake and Sally. <laughs> That was so funny of me. I forgot about that. That was good. You can find Popping Collars on the web at poppingcollarspodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash poppingcollars. You can find us on Twitter at poppingcollarspodcast, um, where we'll tweet occasionally. Um, and, of course, on Instagram and Spotify. We have a Spotify playlist that you could find that has all of our music on it. So look that up. Um, of course, you can find our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. It's not iTunes anymore. All we ask is that uh, wherever you get our podcasts, uh, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, That'll get us more subscribers, and that'll be good, because the corporation that runs our show will appreciate it. I don't know. We can finally do Blue Apron advertisements. (laughs) Oh, there you go. We can have ads. Speaking of ads, (laughs) we have t-shirts for sale, you guys. What? You can wear your own Popping Collars t-shirt. I have one. Go to our website. It's at poppingcollarspodcast.com slash t-shirts. That's the letter T hyphen S-H-I-R-T-S. And you can get your own t-shirt. We are sold out of the extra large greens, though. So you can't get one of those. Sorry. Sorry, Incredible Hulk fans. (laughs) (laughs) But you can get the other colors, including our purple T-shirt, just in time for Lent. <laughs> and uh, finally, uh, we are featured on Episcopal Cafe each and every time. We love Episcopal Cafe. We know that you will as well. Check them out for all your Episcopal news, needs, and beyond. We have new podcast partners, by the way, so I'll give them a shout-out. Um, there's a new Episcopal podcast called All Things Right and Musical. Oh, that is now that. part of our part of our network. So good for them. And those guys work at my old church back in St. Louis. Cool. How about that? 
small world, small Episcopal podcast world. I always like to say that popping collars is kind of the junk food of Episcopal podcasts, though, because we're like way low key compared to the other Episcopal podcasts. They're operating on like a whole nother level from us. That's like a statement that just needs to be repeated. It's a small Episcopal podcasting world. It sure is. It sure is. Does that surprise anybody? That's like the (laughs) second highest skyscraper in Topeka or whatever. (laughs) It is a small world. Yeah, it is. Almost as small as the spring break group in in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, we tied it up. Tied it up with a nice Nebraska beach bow. (laughs) All right, spring breaking. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Kevin, for coming on the show. We will see you next time. Keep those collars popped. Bye.